Hey everyone, David Chen here. Just a quick note to let you know that during our Creed 3 review, which happens towards the end of this episode of the podcast, uh, we do spoil the movie. So it, during that entire review, you should assume there are spoilers. Uh, but we all like the movie. You should check out the movie. And if you are afraid of spoilers, then skip the review until you've seen the movie. Come back, check it out. All right, enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and stop, or Sylvester Stallone won't appear in your movie. <laughs> oh, I get it. It's a stop or your yeah, mom's yeah. shoot reference. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> joining, <laughs> joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. We finally confirmed the Donna's Creed's power level, and it's over 9,000! <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff Ganata. Let's get ready to podcast! <laughs> Those are, of course, all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Creed 3, the directorial debut of Michael B. Jordan, and of course, the third film in the Creed trilogy. Uh, trilogy? Question mark? There's probably going to be more after this weekend. The movie was <laughs> a massive uh, success. What's the name for um, a nine film series? Because <laughs> it's the Rocky series, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, a, a nine-sided shape is a non a nonology nonology. I also have to count the Rocky movies because there was like was it, there was a six. Yeah. There was yeah, a yeah. seven. Hmm. Indeed. Well, anyway, looking forward to making that our main review. Of course, before that, we got some what we've been watching and a little bit of film news for you. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Find us on uh, YouTube and Instagram and Twitter at thefilmcastpod. And find us on TikTok at thefilmcast. We're posting new videos across all those platforms every week. If you think to yourself, man, really love the film cast, hate that I can't see these guys' faces, then oh check out gosh. check us out on <laughs> have Instagram. We got a, have we got a reveal for you? <laughs> we check spent a out. decade in hiding, right? Like that <laughs> Indeed. Check us out over on the Instagram and on the TikToks, uh, because uh, a lot of good stuff there, including clips from our review, uh, I'm sorry, our conversation with Scott Cease, who appeared in Cocaine Bear. What a fun chat. Uh, and really uh, got a lot of great feedback about that chat because uh, people could tell immediately this was not some Johnny Come Lately uh, <laughs> listener of the film cast. Scott sees hardcore fan of the podcast. And uh, that's always fun when we can talk with somebody who has gone on to do much greater and, and more important things than we have here on the podcast. Yeah. So it's a growing um, list. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a great. <laughs> it is a massive list. We've been doing this for so long. It is hey, a massive list. Good news for listeners. Your likelihood of going on and surpassing <laughs> our success level is increasing with each day. It's like 80% chance if you're listening to this podcast, you will be wildly successful in Hollywood. It's kind of, <laughs> kind of where we are. That but should yes. be a Patreon tier. So, you know, the Hollywood list. Your success. <laughs> um, do check out uh, those videos over at, uh, specifically uh, on YouTube at the Filmcast Pod, Instagram at the Filmcast Pod, and on TikTok at the Filmcast. A uh, lot of fun putting those together, and I think people do enjoy them. Um, also, I wanted to say, guys, the box office is back, baby. It's, I mean, wow. March, we actually have four movies where there is no, basically no argument on the podcast about which movies we're going to be reviewing this month, uh -huh. which is a sign that uh, there are basically four big movies opening in the month of March, right? We got... So, yeah. 
If we were going to put a demarcation line of before the box office was back and after the box office was back, (laughs) which movie Mm -hmm. do we think we would make that demarcation line? I mean, I keep saying Megan's contributions have been understated, (laughs) Jeff. But yes, uh, you know, Creed 3, Scream 6, Shazam... Two, right? Um, Two. And John Wick 4, right? That, that's four big franchise movies opening in one month. It has been... I can't even remember the last time that anything like this has yeah, happened. It, it's um, a bounty so of riches. It's a bounty of riches. Really excited to bring you a lot of great coverage of uh, the biggest movies in America. Uh, but I just wanted to note that, hey, finally, a month where there's four big movies opening. <laughs> it's taken years for this to happen. Oh, man. Renew and, your, your movie theater subscriptions. Yeah. You know, I'm on the Regal thing, so it's great. Love indeed, it. Indeed. Indeed. Okay. Well, Jeff, I'm glad you brought up, uh, you know, bringing back the box office because we got this email to slashfilmcast at gmail.com from Mike from Fort Myers, Florida. Uh, always love to get your emails over at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Mike writes, question for discussion. Can a movie be long enough to bludgeon you into liking it? <laughs> <laughs> Mike writes, love the podcast, longtime listener. I recently saw Avatar The Way of Water and I left the theater surprised that I liked the movie. I was surprised because I thought the first 25% of the movie movie was pretty terrible. Let me provide some context. I saw the original Avatar in early 2010 in the theater, and I haven't watched it again since then. I thought the 3D was impressive, but I found the film to be just okay. Sure, the movie is well made, but I found it to be a blatant ripoff of Dances with Wolves, Pocahontas, and other films. Let's just say I'm definitely on Dave and Devinger's side when it comes to the argument about cultural relevance. So I go to see Avatar The Way of Water with very little memory of the first movie. The first 25% of this movie left me totally befuddled. (laughs) <laughs> Sam Worthington's character is blabbing about having kids. Sigourney Weaver's character slash voice is somehow a kid now. And then we get to some scene where all of a sudden the visuals look like a bad video game cutscene. I was starting to feel to get a bad feeling about this movie. And yet somehow the movie slowly started to improve. By the end, I left the theater thinking that was pretty decent. But here's my theory. If that movie had somehow been only 90 minutes long... I would have found it to be a bad overall experience. Yet since it is three hours long, it somehow duped me into liking it. I also realized that I noticed the frame rate changes less and less as the movie went on. Mm -hmm. Sure, lots of movies can start slow and end on a high note, but this felt different. The long length made it possible for the film to win me back. So what do you guys think? Can a movie be so long that it wears you down long enough to change your mind about how much you enjoyed it? Would love to hear your thoughts, end quote. That's from Mike from Fort Myers, Florida, writing into slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Uh, now, Jeff, I know that this is not your experience watching Avatar: The Way of Water, but Correct. I am curious if uh, if any of what Mike says resonates with you. I'll, I'll just start by saying it doesn't resonate with me. It's, it, it's usually quite the opposite. Usually, I'll start watching a movie, I'll realize I don't like it, uh-huh. and then the long runtime will horrify me. I'll be yes. like, "This is torturous!" Like to 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 need to endure the rest of this, given that I I don't think it's going to be good. Jeff, I think this kind of matches with your experience as well, right, Jeff? Yes, but I, I two things. First, yes, I agree that uh, it is extremely rare yeah. for a movie to start out and me going, "Ooh, I'm not enjoying this," and then it, it, it. By the end, I like it. That's extremely rare. Has happened. I've mentioned mm-hmm. it on the podcast a few mm-hmm. times. Uh, has happened, uh, but it is it is extremely rare. But my second point is, I don't think that's a function of length. Yes, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I think it's a. I think a ninety-minute movie could very well have that quality about it as well. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't mm-hmm. really mean that it just. I just. It just outlasted me. I don't think the premise of the question. <laughs> it just beats you down. Yeah, I don't you think disagree it, with I, the premise of the question. I don't <laughs> think it aligns with my experience. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, it is not like oh man, if this is a half an hour longer, I'd end up liking it. I think it is 
there is certainly the case that sometimes a movie does not start strong and finishes strong and you go, wow, that was awesome by the end. Mm -hmm. Rare, but possible. But I don't think that just having more time makes that more possible. I think the three-act structure of a movie, regardless of its running time, makes that possible. Yeah, you know? it's, it's story structure yes. is the thing. And I agree, like, the, for the opening of Avatar 2, you're, like, you're kind of getting your feet back into the water, right? You're like, what? what is this world? Who's happening? Oh, there are many kids now, and things are so weird and so different. And I, I don't think that movie started off very strong either, but it did win me over over time. The other thing is that's a really just well-constructed script, I'd say. Like, I, I think, like, it does a good job of um, introducing new things, but also like showing you like where things are going. And that's just, that's what Cameron's good at. Like a, a, rewatching Titanic, thinking about like the clockwork sort of like machinations of that movie and just being so impressed with the, how he puts that story together. Like, I think that's something he's very good at. Uh, it's definitely not length for me. Like it's normally how the storytelling flows. It brings me back into a movie. And another I, thing that he's really good at is having a crescendo mm-hmm. yeah. that is long and sustained and still amazing like yep. some mm-hmm. movies can't handle having uh a big uh, you know extended climax sequence you know a, a, a moment at the end that pays off everything that la- he, he, you know in avatar 2 it's an hour in mm-hmm. titanic it's close to that it's like the, hour, the, yeah these yeah, movies all, all of his movies like end with a really big sustained action sequence typically mm-hmm. right yeah and yeah. Uh, nobody else really does that like he does that yeah it's, it's yeah. and it's uh it's dramatic tension too it's like the way he constructs scenes like i'm rewatching babylon right now with my wife and my god that movie every every one every scene is like a little set piece in that movie and my wife is like i did not expect her to like it but she is fully into it so it it does work but it's how you construct scenes and how you construct your story that really you know keeps people in i I think i agree with you guys in 99 percent of cases you know i do think there's probably the occasional case where a movie has like a specific vibe that's uh that's so bold and then it lasts for such a long time (laughs) that you might judge it poorly initially but then Mm -hmm. eventually come around to it babylon would be a great example of that you know Uh, i'll throw out another uh one that just comes up like magnolia that movie's like over three hours long you know that might be a movie where you're like i don't like what this movie's putting out but then like by the end you might be won over or more often the opposite you know which is that i hate this movie more i I love well more often More often the opposite in that a movie outstays its welcome. Yeah. Where I'm like, yeah. I'm loving this. And it's like, oh, uh, there's that was a half an hour mm. too much movie. You yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. I, in fact, I might put Babylon in that category because I thought the first two thirds of that movie are incredible. And then like the last half an hour of that movie, I'm just like, mm, I didn't need all, all of this. And I think oftentimes for me, it's much more frequent that I'm loving, loving, loving it. And the, Tar is another example where I feel mm, like the last yeah. 20 minutes could have just been chopped off and I would have liked the movie a bit more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fair enough. Well, to recap what we just said, length doesn't matter and the most important thing is the climax. I think Girth. that was the yes. big takeaway uh-huh, uh-huh. from that conversation. Gotta so. have a good, you can have a good climax regardless of length. Is yeah, I mean, I think I'm really into the girth 100%. of the storytelling too. You know, <laughs> okay, it just has to be really deep characters. Doesn't yeah. make any sense, but okay. It's um, really yeah. how, how the motion picture works, you know? <laughs> okay. Uh, (laughs) I started it, you finished it, Jeff, uh, and that's okay. All right, uh, before we get to Obi-Wan watching, there is one other thing I wanted to mention, which is that over at Vulture, Lane Brown wrote a story that was the talk of the internet this week, um, entitled, Bad Projection is Ruining the Movie Theater Experience. Oh, yeah. I 100% agree with this already. 
And I saw a lot of commentary about this that were basically like, yes, everyone agrees with, with what this piece is saying, which is that the job of a movie theater, you had one job, is to deliver a great picture and sound experience uh, for movies. And people are reporting all around the country that many multiplexes are failing in this regard. Um, this article enumerates a couple of issues that people are having. Uh, one is with, uh, like, this is a big one, actually. I think I, I might have told this story before on the podcast. But I remember watching the, Far the I think it was the Farrelly Brothers made the movie Hall Pass, right? You guys remember that movie? <clears throat> the 2011 film Hall Pass, directed by Peter and Bobby Farrelly, starring Owen Wilson and Jason Sudeikis. I interviewed the Farrelly brothers uh, when I was living in Boston, or I was supposed to interview them like the next day after the screening. <laughs> and I was watching the movie with the Farrelly brothers uh, in the in the audience, and one of the Farrelly brothers went up to me and was like, "Is is this uh, something wrong with the picture of this?" <laughs> movie like <laughs> is it does it look dark to you i'm like yeah, yeah. you know I, at the time that was this was like i don't know 10 years ago i was like nervous talking to what would eventually be a a future best picture winning director and so i was like uh i don't know i think maybe it looks okay you know <laughs> I, 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 I like how you're the directors of dumb and dumber <laughs> uh, you should bow before their feet you know? i like how you're you're nervous about a future like yes. you sensed that someday oh yes they, they would eventually win you know <laughs> mm -hmm. best picture yeah um or one Dave, of them. Dave is a what they call an anxious precog. One <laughs> <laughs> one of them would eventually win best picture for Greenbook. But but no, I mean these guys, you know, back at the time it was like a big deal for me to be talking with not that it's not a big deal now, you know, but um but I was like I, I was kind of like I, you know, they 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 had come to my hometown of Boston and they were watching this movie and I was like I didn't want to make it seem like yeah, this looks like shit, you know, like I didn't want to say that. But uh yeah, in truth it did look bad. And it was because uh, it was in a 3D theater. Remember, 3D was a big deal at the time because of mm -hmm. a movie that shall remain nameless. And somebody had left the 3D yep. filter on the, happens. on the projector, yeah. reducing the amount of light re reaching the screen mm -hmm. by a substantial amount. I've right? complained to theaters multiple times whenever I notice that. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's not even it's not even just that. It, it, dim bulbs. Just yeah. dim, dim bulbs. That, that, that's one issue, right? That, 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 that was a big issue back at the time. Less mm -hmm. so because 3D is not a big deal. But yes, dim bulbs, bulbs burning out or bulbs being used long past their lifetime. That's another issue that's listed here. And then um, just not doing the work to show the movies in the correct aspect ratio. Oh, that's so <laughs> frustrating. Right? We're like, like you know, the, the movie yeah. is projected onto the curtain. You know, yeah. in the theater, yeah. or like or the, you, the motorized yeah. curtain is not in, in the right place. How many just, times have you seen a movie start and something is terribly wrong, and every, and there's that anxious moment of everybody going, "They're going to notice this. Mm -hmm. They're mm -hmm. going to notice yeah. this," and no one notices. It. It's because everything's automated now. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, there's no person standing there up in the in the booth looking at the screen and making sure it's right. That's a problem. <laughs> like you, you can't start a movie and well. I guess the problem is, you know, there's 45 minutes of pre-shit before the movie. Uh, but <laughs> when I worked at the movie theater in high school, you know, we had to physically wind film through a projector, which was fraught with problems. <laughs> Potential catastrophe awaited. <laughs> and so you always watched as the thing spun up and started going to make sure 
everything was okay for a couple of minutes. And mm-hmm. I, I just wish they had just that basic level of quality control. <laughs> yeah. When you start a movie, just make sure the sound <laughs> no. is on. You know, the, <laughs> you've got twenty screens, Jeff, and like four people working at that theater. So. I know it's a how, problem. How, it's a problem. You know? But yeah, you're you're right, Jeff. That like there used to be ex- literal experts, mm-hmm. you know, who are projecting these movies, and now it's all automated on these screen on these, uh, you know. Digital yeah. projectors. Uh, the piece in Vulture does point out that AMC is at least planning to install laser projectors yes. in 3,500 theaters by 2026. Nothing um, ever bad has happened with lasers. Well, lasers have no bulbs. They so. are bulb-free and can Bulbless. run for 20,000 hours yeah. uh, before their light systems need replacing. So, uh, guys, 30,000 hours from now, we're going to be complaining about how <laughs> <laughs> they have not replaced those laser projectors. Tune in. Yeah, I mean, it's, in. it's a thing. I, yeah. I just bought a new uh, ultra sure throw projector here in my house, and it is laser. But that's the thing is like, okay, I've clocked like maybe 15 years of viewing, you know, on that. What, what do I do then? You just chuck it, I guess, yeah. and upgrade <laughs> to whatever is next. Yeah, yeah. you got to replace, replace the light system. I, I, you know, I have mm-hmm. a laser projector, guys, as well. And this thing... Uh, here's a disadvantage I wasn't fully aware of of laser projectors. Uh-huh. Um, it's loud. There is a piece of dust <laughs> that has lodged itself like right onto the. So when you project onto oh. the wall, there's like a big circle yeah. where this piece of dust is. Um, so anyway, point being, laser projectors can have problems as well, and they also need to be replaced. That's just the, the uh, lens. Yeah, the mortal enemy of lasers, of course, is dust. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes, <laughs> it's like the rock, rock, paper, scissors. It's laser yeah. dust, yeah. basically. But I, got, I wanted to ask you guys, like, how often do you encounter these things at your local theater? Mm-hmm. I would say, in general, I, I spend a lot of my time at the South Center um, Theater in Seattle, and also Regal Thornton in Seattle. And I would say, eighty to ninety percent of the time, it's a great experience. So, like, yeah, I, yeah. I'm very fortunate. But every now and then, it's like mm, something <laughs> went wrong here, and that's. Uh, that is unfortunate. Like, how, Jeff, how often do you encounter issues uh, with your local screenings? Way too often. Really? <laughs> Way too. I mean, I, I've even. I'm sure you guys have had this experience too. Even at uh, press screenings, there's been issues. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, like it'll start and it'll be in the wrong aspect ratio. It'll start and and the audio won't be working or something. And there's no trailers before press screenings. So you're you're like, I mean, this just happened uh, a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember what movie it was, but like the first. Uh, you know, minute of the movie, there was no audio, and everybody's like, "Uh, uh, is anybody doing anything <laughs> about this?" Yeah. But yeah, with uh, you know, with purchasing a ticket, with going to to AMC screenings and you know AMC theaters, I've had that often. You know, I can mm-hmm. only imagine a certain Nicole Kidman just weeping at the thought of it. And indeed, indeed, because we come to this place, we come to this place, Dave. For magic, for, for an immaculate <laughs> theater going experience, that was, that was worth the, the break there, Jeff. Um, <laughs> Devendra, uh, I'm curious. So for me, it's like very rare to have a problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Occasion, Jeff. It sounds like it's uh, like frequent enough to be annoying. How about you, Devendra? How often? Does... Honestly, not that much these days in New York. Like, yeah, think they, I would often have to go talk mm. to people about something going on. Uh, sometimes, like now, I would notice, like, yeah, um, sounds not working properly, or the the theater lights are on, and that's like one thing that gets me. <laughs> yeah. So I remember you had that problem, Dave, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Recently, for my smile screening, recently, I'm just fully happened. ready to like run out, uh, like like heat, like at the at a moment's notice, I will leave the theater <laughs> to go call for help because it's all you can do. It's all you could do, and you know, hopefully never make have it a theater else. seat you are not afraid to walk out on in. 10 seconds flat <laughs> indeed if you feel the house lights on during the beginning of the movie um but uh yeah i i think this article and the widespread agreement around it points to the fact that 
the theater experience is getting worse and mm-hmm. more expensive as time goes on. And it's just, no it's, one... it is getting better is the thing. Like it used to be worse. You're talking about physically well. loading up film. People had to drive around town, taking that one reel of a movie oh, to yeah, different theaters. Yeah. You know? Well, like, I just mean for yeah. the, for the film goer though, you know, like it's, it's uh, a lot of people mm-hmm. perceive that the experience is either staying the same or staying, staying the same or not getting better. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and prices continue to go up. And, you know, yeah, a lot of people yeah, just yeah. are like, I'm just going to watch it on my 4k TV at home. This Things is what I've been saying for months slash years now, yeah. which is, you know, oh, how can we save the theater going experience? Hey, I got an idea. Make it good. <laughs> Make it good. Uh, stop wasting my time. That'd be nice. Like lower. If you advertise like I have, we have five minutes of trailers. That's it. We will show one trailer yes. and the movie will begin. I, mm, I would even, probably even prioritize that. Even three trailers would be a godsend. <laughs> like mm-hmm. not 15 <laughs> You know? I had I had a really interesting experience. I was in Santa Barbara, California this last weekend and went to go see Creed 3 at something called Metropolitan Theaters or something like that. On but State it was, Street? Um, I don't remember. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But uh, Because I worked that, you know, I went to college in Santa Barbara. I oh. worked at the Paseo Nuevo Theater, which is sister theater. I think theaters. that was the one I went to, Jeff. The Paseo Nuevo? Yeah. <laughs> I think that was the one. Maybe it was. Anyway, in, in a little strip mall, you have to kind of walk off the, yeah, off the main. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, no, no, the carding, uh, well there's like, there's like seven, there's like seven theaters in like a one mile radius. <laughs> yep. So like mm-hmm. the so Arlington, the Metro four, the Paseo Nuevo. Yeah, I went Nuevo. to the Metro four. I went to the Metro four. Okay. The Metro four is where my roommate Steven worked. Wow. Yeah. Well, anyway, anyway, I go to the Metro four and, uh, there are three ads and then like uh, the movie start time happens. There are three ads. All of them are for the Metro Four. Yeah, right? it's like, <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm into that. Do that. Come, yeah, come work for the Metro Four or use the Metro Four for uh, events, parties, and parties, yeah. and such. Yeah. And then like maybe three trailers, and then the movie began. I was like, that was awesome. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. love that, that used experience. to be the arc light. That used to be their policy. They used to advertise like we will have three, exactly three, no more, mm-hmm. no less. We'll have three trailers, and then the movie starts. Yeah, and I used to Alamo's love that always pretty that. good about that too. They're never, and they give you like the pre-roll fun videos too before Alamo screens typically. So that's all. Yeah, it's just interesting, you know, that there, there's some experiences in modern life that people are like, oh yeah, that's gotten better over time, and like yeah. a lot of people think going to movie theaters has gotten worse over time. You know, I mean, and that's, that, that's a bummer. Th- this so. is a longer debate because I think for a lot of theaters, hey, they did replace the seats like we complained about mm-hmm. for a while. A yeah. lot of a lot it's of it's true. It's true. It's it's really case by case. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I think also like. um there is it seems like new york theaters vulture is like a new york based yeah, institution yeah. and it does seem like a lot of uh new york theaters do have more problems probably because there's more uh, of them, new york you know? is falling apart yeah in, in there's more ways, of them so, so it's like uh so it, it's not necessarily representative of everyone but yeah it, it, mm-hmm. it, i do agree with you jeff that it does seem like a lot of times these theaters are barely hanging on in terms of personnel so anyway. shout out to uh vulture by the way they they just released their stunt awards yeah uh, by Bill Galberry and Brandon Stresnig. And uh, th- this is fun. I love all the stuff they're highlighting here. Like, best shootout, best fight. Oh, man. I was thinking, uh, I was thinking actually, uh, we should talk about that in the After Dark. So let's, let's, okay. let's, let's do that. Um, the bad news about this conversation is that now I'm Googling laser projectors. Yeah. Do I, do I need yeah, to Jeff. have a laser projector, guys? No, no, you don't, Jeff. You don't. No, you're, you're okay. Right. Yeah, okay. you're doing fine. You're doing fine. I don't want my bulb to go dim. Mm-hmm. Well, then, then let's talk when your bulb starts going dim. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, folks, that is a little bit of film news for you. Let's take a break and talk about a sponsor, and we'll be right back with more and what we've been watching here on The Film Guest. All right, folks, let's talk about what we've been watching. All three of us watched Netflix's very first live event ever. 
Uh, I didn't memed, watch it live, though. I didn't watch it live. Yeah. <laughs> It's I, Netflix. Well, I watched what? it live, okay? And it was beamed to, I think, 190 countries. It was Chris Rock's new comedy special, Selective Outrage. And uh, I thought we'd take a few minutes to just talk about what we thought about. First of all, I watched it live, and the experience was uh, completely fine from a technical mm-hmm. standpoint. There was a couple of hiccups here and there. Oh, the, so here's the question. Yes. Did it make any difference whatsoever? <laughs> Well, people were t- like people tuned in at a specific time. Yeah, I think the that idea, is the thing. There the was idea is that it is it is cool to be like one of the first people to see it yeah. and see well, people okay. reacting to it in real time. You know, but but if um, it, okay, but if it had been pre-recorded and debuted at a specific time, mm-hmm. we're gonna debut it at eight. It, it's indistinguishable from a lot. It, it, there's nothing live about it that matters, right? Right. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, mistakes can happen, right? It's like the I Oscars thing. True. Like you watch yeah, but, it to be like, mm, somebody gonna mess up. Yeah, yeah. The uh, cool uh, thing is that most stand-up specials are recorded over a series of performances yes, correct. and edited yes. the best bits out. And the fact that he did it all in one go is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and there are a couple of mistakes, you know, in the set yeah. that are left in there, right? So so there is there is that, Jeff. That does make a little bit of a difference. But I would agree with you that it doesn't really, t- it, it, it doesn't take advantage of the fact in a really huge way that it's live, you know? Yeah. Um, he, doesn't, he didn't take like live call-ins or anything. Correct. Now, there was a <laughs> pre-show and a post-show uh, that... I'm just going to put this out there. We're very weird. I heard the um, post show was a disaster, so I kind of want to see that. It's yeah, it, it is not a disaster. It, okay. it, it was not a disaster. It was weird because the post show was hosted by Dana Carvey and David Spade. And uh, the people we talk to uh, when we think about Chris Rock, I guess. <laughs> well, what? they they I mean they had they had panelists like they, they had other people like JB Smoove and right, right. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in our city, you know, like there was other people on the panel. We have um, to get Chris Rock's contemporaries to talk about his uh, his latest special. We got to go back to the '90s. Uh, David Spade and uh, Dana Carvey. Love yeah. Dana Carvey. Well, they they were like, uh, they're like, yeah, who you know? <laughs> it's the people you want to hear talk about Chris Rock. Two middle aged, out of touch white guys, yeah, basically. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> what, like, and um, how, how, the whole. How could they not get Adam Sandler for this gig? Like, what is he doing? The the whole He's thing busy. was a very listless affair. Like, it felt like yeah, we have some. They had some mm-hmm. questions written down on card, but it it felt like literally Dana Carvey and David Spade did not want to be there. Like, it yeah, felt like yeah. they were just like, you know, why 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 are we doing this? Like, they they barely spoke <laughs> during the entire thing. So then I'm like, I'm thinking to myself like, why did you even have that have now? Now yeah. here's the thing that's great about They're like, where's my special? Why? Why yeah, am right. I talking about somebody else's special? What? Here's the thing that's cool about it is uh, I, I like the idea of having a big event and then, oh, we have a group of people to talk about it. You know, like Chris Hardwick mm-hmm. obviously did this with like Talking Dead and all that stuff like that on the AMC yeah. network. And, yeah. and I do think that there is, um, uh, and I actually, you know, I, I, I never watched any of that Chris Hardwick stuff because it's like, <laughs> I don't need to, I don't need to hear from the stars of the thing, right? Like I just watched yeah, it. Yeah. I thought it was great that they did. I didn't watch no, no. it. I thought it was terrible. <laughs> the con- <laughs> Jeff, the concept of, here, here's what I'm really invested in. The concept of we've all just experienced something together. Yeah. Your character Let's- just died brutally on screen. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Well, it's like, we've all just experienced something together. Let's, we have reactions. Let's talk about it. And I, I- like that. There is something really rough around the edges mm-hmm. of inviting a bunch of people, and you don't know what they're going to say or what they're going to talk about because mm-hmm. they hasn't haven't necessarily seen the special. Um, so I, I like the concept, and yeah. I like the fact, and I like the fact that it's not like it's not like Chris Rock is there doing a post interview. Like it's like right. his friends and and colleagues like reacting to it. Like I like that, but the execution was really really off. 
in my opinion. But go ahead, Jeff. What were gonna say? I was going to say, I think it's shocking that a person who literally makes his living by doing reactions to yeah. television shows week to week likes the concept <laughs> of doing reactions. I know to it's a, it is a, it's stunning development. <laughs> How right? dare like, people recap content who, that was just recently re, seen. Re, recap and react to stuff that just happened? <laughs> I, love, I just like Decode? the concept. I don't watch it, but I love not the only do I, I hate like that people do it. You know, not only do I hate it, I would never try to build an empire off of it. The real, I, you know, I don't want to watch it, but the real heroes are the ones that do it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, hopefully, despite Jess Mockery, you understood the difference, the distinction I was trying to make between, like, having stars of the show come on and just having a bunch of folks talk about stuff, right? A react to it after the show. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, basically, love the concept, uh, did not enjoy the execution, but Jeff, that's theoretically another difference in mm -hmm. watching it live is, like, they're recording that content yeah. live as well. So no, that's yeah. not that's not archived anywhere? You, can't, you had to you, be you, there to... I watch believe that. you can watch it archive. So the experience for you is still the same, but like mm -hmm. you could imagine in the future there being more unpredictability with yeah. you know the yeah, posts of, of and pre-shows. Yes, right, right. sure. Netflix but, needs to promise specials to these aging comics too. It's like, okay, talk about Chris Rock's thing, and you will get you will get <laughs> you will get an hour in a couple months. Okay, yeah. David Spade, we know you really need it. Yeah, yeah. Are they going to give them forty million dollars like they gave to Chris Rock though? Is the question. But anyway. Uh, okay, so the Chris Rock special overall, I thought it had some elements that were quite enjoyable, um, but I gotta say that I find a lot of these comics, like Chris Rock and, and Dave Chappelle, mm -hmm. to be less interesting these days <laughs> because they are incredibly rich and successful, yeah, whiny, rich old men. Yeah, yeah, and it's like I, I you know, love these comics growing up. I watched Killing Them Softly like a dozen times, and, and it's like as time has gone on they are now talking about rich people problems. And it's like, yeah. that's that's fine. You know, they can do whatever they want. But like, I find it to be less relevant and relatable yeah. personally. What's the deal know? with my private Disney vacation, yeah. you know? <laughs> I mean, Kevin Hart constructed an entire, uh, like, miniature <laughs> theater inside his house to record yeah. one of his recent comedy specials. And so I found that stuff to be kind of, it just, it just has less of an edge um, to me. Mm -hmm. That said... Chris Rock does spend the final 10 minutes of his special laying into Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, I, I don't, I'm kind of agnostic on this. Like, I don't like him going after Jada because she didn't do anything to him, but uh, I'm kind of agnostic on like this, this point about like how he came off because if somebody had slapped me live in front of millions of people, yeah, I don't know what my reaction would be. I, yeah. I would probably be podcasting about it that night. Um, he, and he did like I think they issued a statement like shortly after that happened. So this is they should have called this a slapback. Well, yeah, I mean, he really basically was. said nothing mm -hmm. publicly yeah. about it for a year. Just and stewing, waited, just stewing, just stewing, working on material, working on this material, letting that forty million dollars from Netflix flow into the bank account, and then hitting one week before the Oscars. Yeah, um, it's just you got to admire. Like I, I, I don't necessarily endorse it, but I kind of admire the the gumption. Devinder, my, your thought, your thought. My main takeaway yeah. here is the slap was the best thing that happened to Chris Rock in mm -hmm. a very long time. So you did so. not like the special. I, I think I think it's perfectly fine. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think there are some elements of this that I like. I, I think like. Chris Rock uh, is somebody who's still a little more culturally attuned, I think, than a, than a Chappelle. Yes. You know, like um, the idea of selective outrage and how we how we cancel things like based on specific things. You know, yeah. like okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the R. Kelly versus Michael Jackson thing is a good example because, like, yeah, we we don't listen to R. Kelly in our house anymore, but my wife loves Michael Jackson. <laughs> we cannot stop. 
we I can't stop getting her to play that, but also it's good music. It's rough. Like we we don't know how we're how we're like working in this world he, where he astutely points out some mm-hmm. double standards we have in our society. Which yeah. is a good observation. But then he spends so much of this show just ranting about rich people problems and also my dude needs to work out some things in therapy because Chris Rock still has issues with women. Um, so many issues with women too. And it's like it, after a certain point, I'm like, dude, are you okay? You're like recently divorced. And he's talking about like his sexual escapades now. Also like how much he hates his daughters because they're spoiled rich brats that he created and how he <laughs> expelled, got one of his daughters expelled to teach her a lesson. Just like a lot of weird stuff going on here. Um, I, I think like that whole generation of comics, like never really had a good sense of like uh, seeing, seeing the other gender, seeing women as people. And I think Chris Rock still has it, unfortunately. So it's, it's a shame. I think that that kind of ruins this whole thing for me. And the whole Will Smith thing is like, yeah, he is raising good points of like, what, what, <laughs> what are Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith doing like with the, the red room show and everything? Like, I think a lot of people red, are saying red like, table, red table, please, please. What are you guys shut up? <laughs> stop talking about you like the weirdness of your relationship and you cheating on him and like forcing it like that I, I think that is all a good point but um yeah there's there's a lot to complain about here and i don't think chris rock i think chris rock just doesn't like women and he is wondering like why his relationships with women are not working out I'm like mm. and i don't know buddy you got to talk to somebody about that jeff canada your thoughts on the chris rock special selective outrage on netflix I mean, I thought it was freaking funny, um, and I, I I laughed my ass off, and I thought it was pretty insightful and pretty uh, pretty barbed and sharp. I mean, that that whole sequence about you know the four ways to get attention, where you know we're addicted to attention, mm-hmm. and there's four mm-hmm. ways to get it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty spot on and pretty great. Um, you know, I, the, I I thought it was very funny, and I, um, I you know definitely it's. I don't go to a stand-up comedy special looking for a well-adjusted person. Sure, sure. I want to hear people whine about their lives. You know, yeah. he's a very entertaining man while doing that. He's yeah. freaking funny and he constructs things and he and he goes for it. And and I thought, you know, I thought it was it was pretty great. I mm-hmm. I I thought the last, the last the last bit was you know it's very satisfying. It felt like this cathartic, like finally he's gonna do it. He's gonna, you know, head head on and he, you know. Yeah, yeah there, there was just something about the idea. I, I do just find it compelling that like this wild thing happened to him that's like almost unprecedented where he g- gets like basically assaulted on TV, you know, in front of millions of people. And then and then just the the will to say nothing about it for a really long time or virtually Paid nothing off, about man. it. And to yeah, the and, and, then, and then the cash, it's just like, yeah, I, I, you know, again, like you, you can say what you want about like who is right or who is wrong in that situation. Will's Will Smith right to slap him or whatever. But like it just I, I just admire the will. It's like I just admire the will it takes to do something. It's like savvy. That. It's, it's savvy. It's, savvy. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's purely a calculation too. like what the yeah. special have happened yeah. without the slap. Like who knows? Who knows? He should yeah. he should be thanking Will Smith at this point. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he definitely went in in a very vicious fashion. And mm-hmm. it was not like it was not conciliatory at all, right? Like it was no. not. Um, you hey, let's you never know, it. like back behind the scenes, what yeah. conversations have happened. You know, I don't know. You never know. Mm-hmm. But well, that was one of the points that was brought up was selective outrage about how like he felt like um, Will Smith kind of picked up. Like if Chris yeah, Rock was yeah, yeah. bigger, right? You know, yeah. he was like, I don't think Will Smith would have like 
come up and yeah. slap me if he if, yeah. if Chris yeah, Rock if was like two feet taller and very muscular, you know. Yeah, if it's Jonathan Majors, yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't not, know. Not I don't know that that you would say whatever you want, Jonathan Majors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, sounds like a, a wide variety of reactions here on this podcast to the special, mm-hmm. and um, uh, but it, it is notable that uh, Netflix is doing live shows and. Uh, technologically, I have to admire it as well. Like you know, broadcasting to that many countries has uh, got to be difficult. So uh, I don't That's know yeah. whether they'll call it a success or not. But if it was successful, I assume we'll see more of this stuff moving forward. Um, mm-hmm. Live TV. Ne- Netflix is, basically yeah. owned Saturday Night. Like people were all talking about the show and the pre stuff and the post stuff. So yeah. that is, that is what you want if you want to stay relevant. Indeed. Well, it, it was Indeed. interesting how. Well, you know, I was perhaps a. a you know, not typical in this situation because I wasn't super tied into what it was going. But there was uncertainty for me about whether this was even going to be available. Hundred uh, percent agree. Hundred percent agree. I spent like five minutes googling, like, can you stream so the I. Chris Rock special after? Yeah. that's why I was like, like, do I have to be there to watch it? Or is it not going to be on <laughs> sure Netflix? They're gonna after? they're gonna test that at some point. Like, they're gonna be like, okay, you're gonna have to wait a month before we put it back yeah. in the library. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But so, my guess is they were purpose. My guess is they were purposefully vague about it. Is my is my guess? Yeah. Um, because if they're like, guess what? You can watch it anytime afterwards. Like people might not have tuned in, right? So, but it's wild um, that the entire draw to Netflix in its early days of streaming was to prevent exactly that. You know, like mm-hmm. that we had all lived in a world where TV was ephemeral, and you had to be there when it was on, or you couldn't watch it. And then streaming happened, i.e. Netflix, and we all were like, this is amazing. You can watch it when I want, where I want, how I want. This is amazing. Yeah. And Netflix is like, you know what would be a novel thing to do? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what basic cable does. I mean, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. What, what literally the entire history of television was. Yeah. It is kind of weird that they're going back in time a little bit, but I, I think they are capturing additional slices of the pie right they yeah. they already had the uh, on demand part of the pie and in mm-hmm. the future we're probably going to see things like i think i think um was it the sag awards uh have already said they're going to air on netflix next year and oh that's um, cool i assume that uh that they will be um getting into sports as well in the future like yeah. netflix yeah. right now it can't do sports you know and that's a well, huge yeah amazon part. prime's doing that though obviously exactly. apple's doing, doing that yeah, yeah, yeah. we're, exactly. we're gonna yeah. see the streamers like experiment too like uh i have not seen these yet but apparently the second half of the first season of the nevers from hbo was airing on tubi at specific times <laughs> you have to tune in mm-hmm. like buffy reruns to see these episodes and uh i don't know if that's being successful for them but certainly an experiment like fascinating yeah well, that's Chris Rock's selective outrage. It's streaming right now on Netflix. Uh, I, I, you know, even um, even if you're not a huge fan of the the humor, uh, I, I do feel, still think it's worth checking. It's like a notable cultural mm-hmm. event. You know, it is worth checking out um, and and having uh, a reaction, having a having. I think mainly for the last ten minutes, but mainly yeah. for the last ten minutes. Yeah. Like that's that is, you know, you know, if if you're as into pop culture as. At least I am. I think it's definitely worth checking out. So Chris Rock Selective Outrage on Netflix. That's one of the things we've been watching. I wanted to mention a couple of other things I've been watching on Netflix and other other places. I watched The Elephant Whispers. This is a, an Oscar-nominated short documentary about a uh, tribe in India, uh, South India, that devote their lives to caring for elephants. Uh, the documentary is about 40 minutes long. And, you know, there's some documentaries that tell like a really rip-roaring good story. And there's some documentaries that are just about vibes. 
And this one is about vibes. Um, it's kind of really beautifully shot, amazing cinematography. Uh, you get to see a lot of shots of cute baby elephants. You know, I don't know if baby elephants do anything for you, anything for you guys, but like, yeah, elephants I, I are amazing. Love this a good great. cute baby elephant, you know. And if you want to get some nice shots of cute baby elephants, like this is going to give you that. Mm-hmm. Um, humans interacting with and taking care of these, and like it, it's kind of uh, tangentially about the lives of these humans and like how they take care of them and. Um, great. It's just yeah, it's just lovely to see. I want to check it out. We we do not spend enough time thinking about like how how are elephants real? You know how are big animals yeah, real? Yeah, and yeah. we exist alongside them. Yeah, it's amazing to see like people riding these things too. And it's just like wow, like you get a you know it's just it's just you you feel awe at, at nature when watching a mo- uh, short documentary like this. So I'd recommend it. It's you know the story is not like something that you have to run out and watch. It's not like doesn't doesn't move super fast or anything like that but if you're into some nice relaxing vibes and some great visuals the elephant whisperers on netflix is a great short documentary for you finally i watched two documentaries about the murdoch murders so you don't have to you're really (laughs) into this yeah i watched low country the murdoch dynasty and the murdoch murders on netflix which is one of the top 10 shows right now um do you guys know anything about the Murdoch murders? Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I live close enough to it. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Well, it's pretty wild. I, I so I will not review like the, the <laughs> events of the of the Murdoch the news. Last yeah, it's week. it's yeah. literally taking place right now, and I will not recount the developments that have happened recently. Um, but basically, the Murdoch family is a big deal type family in South Carolina, and uh. You know, my wife kind of described it to me. She's like, yeah, this family that was really powerful and they got kind of too powerful and they they thought they were above the law. And I was like, oh, that sounds pretty boring. You know, I don't, you know, a lot of people think they're a big deal above the law. Then I watched uh, (laughs) Low Country, the Murdoch Dynasty. And I was like, this is freaking mind blowing, man. Like, uh, this is not just, hey, I think I'm a big deal down at the Rotary Club or anything like that. This is like... um, Honestly, it reminds me of the mafia. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of Infinity Pool, the uh, Cronenberg movie, which is b- about these people that were above. The- like, if you had no consequences yeah. for any crimes you committed, what kind of person would you become? And that is basically what happens with the the Murdochs. Right? They they are so tied into their local government and legal uh, justice system that they basically don't need to experience any consequences for anything. And literally people die. Like literally like there are deaths as a result of the stuff they do that they ostensibly don't get in trouble for. Um, and Except so, now. Ex- yeah. until, until recently, right? He went and, a little too far. Uh, yeah. They went a little too far. That's what, the, that's what it's about. And so it's like, oh, like it's about how uh, uh, sort of money and power protect people. Mm-hmm. And it's about what happens uh, when that is not enough to protect people because the acts that you do are so heinous that it is impossible for you to be protected anymore. And um, and so it's pretty compelling. Now, I watched these two documentaries. One is on HBO Max called Low Country, The Murdoch Dynasty. One is on Netflix, The Murdoch Murders. And there is one of these documentaries that's way better than the other one. Um, and that is Low Country, The Murdoch Dynasty on HBO Max. Okay, good. More people are going to see the Netflix one, unfortunately. But the HBO Max one is a significant like does a much better job of laying out the stakes and telling the story in my opinion. However, the Netflix one 
has different interviewees. So you really got to watch both of them <laughs> if you want to get the full full picture. But if you can only watch one, if you can only watch one, if you can only watch one, you got to watch the one on HBO Max. Um, yeah. If you Google online, there's like literally explainers being like, "I've watched like eight Murdoch <laughs> documentaries. Like here's the one you should watch." So I, I think that this actually is like matching with what other people say. If you want to mm-hmm. watch one documentary about the story, watch the one on HBO Max. It's very can, good. Can, can we talk about like this this particular like part of cop, uh, pop culture? Because it does feel like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get, I get it. Like true crime stuff has gotten really popular, but it also feels like a lot of people are just like they're waiting for the next staircase, right? What will what will be big? What will be fascinating? Yeah. And audiences are just there to lap it up. And I just find that uh, I, I guess kind of fascinating and odd. This is a pretty crazy story, but also that, a little that, that's weird. The thing. I was like, I was like, yeah. why? Why are there like six documentaries about <laughs> these? Like, who even gives a shit about these people? Yeah. And then I watch yeah. it. I was like, oh, I get, I get it. Because like, it's it's so like. Shakespearean, like it speaks to these kind of mm-hmm. uh, injustices that are present within our society as a whole, and these people that became like so corrupted that they end like they spent a hundred years building up this dynasty and basically, you know, two years destroying it, and it's just like, wow, like you, you know, there, there there's something that I think is is quite compelling. But there's some, mm-hmm. I agree with you, Devinger. Sometimes it's like these are just like normal people like living their lives, like they don't need to have their story thrust in the spotlight but like in this I, I case it's more like it's how culture like quickly spins up like okay yeah, okay, we gotta get yeah. multiple docs we gotta get competing documentaries uh which one are people gonna watch doesn't matter let's make one because we're gonna get the views uh that yeah, it's, feels it's a whole me. machine now it's a whole machine yeah. now and and then you have this situation now where you have like four or five documentaries telling the same story and they are <laughs> a very differing quality you know um so anyway maybe that can be a future market for the film cast is um <laughs> which true crime documentary covering this to- which we work documentary should you watch basically i feel like that's why people you know? listen to us is like to yeah. to weed out the garbage basically mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah good job Dave. yeah you're welcome uh low country the murdoch dynasty that's the one you should check out on hbo max that's what i have been watching this week we're gonna take a break for a sponsor we'll be right back with more what we've been watching divin your hardware hit us up with some stuff you've been watching Oh, I checked out the first episode of The Mandalorian season three, and uh, you know it, it's still The Mandalorian. Um, I do, I do have some nits to pick though, because I'm slightly <laughs> spoil a couple of things here. I'm going to yeah. spoil the end of The Mandalorian season two. Yeah. I'm going to spoil what happens in the Book of Boba Fett. Um, sorry, Jeff. I don't know. Are you? Yeah, if you're going to run out, just for just yeah. just yeah, in yeah, case, yeah. just right. for this. Yep. Uh, at the end of The Mandalorian season two, right? We leave Baby Yoda to go off with like young CGified Luke Skywalker Mandalorians on his own. Uh, he doesn't have a ship, right? His ship had blown up the beginning of season three. Baby Yoda's back. Grogu's <laughs> back. He has a, he has a fancy new ship from Naboo, which you will all remember from the Phantom Menace. Like it, it looks really cool. There was a whole like season's worth of story basically that happened at the end of the book of Boba Fett. And I saw it. I saw that show. I was like, okay, I, I can connect the dots here. I do find it really weird how Disney wasn't like, um, Hey, by the way, guys, um, you may maybe want to finish the book of Boba Fett. You know, we know it starts bad. We know nobody really cares about Boba Fett, but Grogu's back at the, at the end of the book of Boba Fett. And, um, not, I just, not, not only that, mm-hmm. I, my understanding is they didn't show what happened to him in the previous they didn't. on because, they just, yeah. because that would have been confusing to show a previously on in a, from a different show. Right. Yeah. So if you were a person who ended uh, The Mandalorian season two and went straight into season three, you will have no idea 
what's happening you know like why that's is so Grogu back that's so it's weird. weird that's so weird right it's, that's weird i think it's weird and I, I think it's also strange that disney never was like uh I, i'm on the disney plus app a lot i never saw like um hey grogu's in the grogu's in book Bo- 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 fett yeah or like some you kind know, of like make something. sure you watch this recap of Bo- yeah. book of boba fett before you watch or at least like you know, say yeah. previously on the mandalorian and, and the, the book, book of Boba, Boba Fett. Fett. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Something, something. something. <laughs> so I, I wrote about that in Gadget. That's my shout out this week. But yeah. I do, I just find it weird. I do feel like this cross-media s- storytelling that's happening, it feels really lazy, too, because the end of season two of The Mandalorian, we're like, hey, this show's going to change up, right? Grogu's <laughs> off doing his own thing. Mandalorian has to be alone. He's like a, a parent without their child. Um, maybe things will change up for season three. No, no. Uh, end of Book of Boba Fett, they basically just reset everything, and now they're just up here again, and they're they're going on adventures, and they're going on fetch quests again. So it's perfectly enjoyable. There's a really good dogfight. Um, there's some nice cameos from characters we've met before. It is really nice to see this world like come alive, and Carl Weathers is back. But man, they just really did a lot of work to bring the Mandalorian back to where it was in season two. Like any dramatic changes or work they could have done, they just kind of did in three episodes of the book of Boba Fett. It feels really strange to me. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to call that out. Um, I'm enjoying it, but I do feel weird about that whole endeavor. Well, it's the Mandalorian season three. It's something that Devendra Hardo has been watching. It's on Disney plus. Uh, what else have you been watching Devendra? Want to shout out party down season three. Um, yes. Uh, so good. Just, just, yes. it does feel like we are dropped right back into yep. that world yep. in those characters. They're, they're like grudges against each other. The little like in jokes they have together. It is, it is honestly kind of like a miracle, like how well the show just kind of gets back going. You know, it's like they're right back in full gear um, with some great guest stars too. Like there's just, just some good laugh out loud stuff in this. And uh, I'm not going to say who's in this episode, but every time I see that actress, I'm like, man. I miss you. I want yeah. to see more of you. Why, I, why aren't you in more things? I know. Yeah. I know who you're talking about. And I, I think, this, honestly, I think the scripts for Party Down are underrated because mm-hmm. you have all these like really talented comedic actors, but the scripts are just like uh, clockwork, like Rube Goldberg machine, because basically what happens every episode is everyone fails to achieve their dreams, <laughs> right? That's kind of uh-huh. what happens in every episode of Party Down. And... Uh, and usually the way in which they fail to achieve their dreams is because of something they, like they somehow brought their own undoing mm-hmm. and it's very, very clever. And it's so it's clever. And they yeah. give you the glimmer of hope. Yes. Like, oh, I have this oh, yeah. problem. It's going to be fixed. Yep. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Indeed. And the way it is not fixed is there's a pratfall in this episode that I'm still laughing about. So yeah. you know. this episode being so episode good. two, I think you're referring to, right? I, oh, actually just episode one. I oh, episode one. Yet, okay. But, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So episode one, debut, episode two has also premiered. It's on stars. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm really loving the, uh, the revival. This is, you know, uh, Jeff Kanata had brought up like, is this going to be like the rest development revival where we're like, this show should have stayed dead so far. I'm like, this is great. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. And I think the show has more to say about Hollywood today than, you know, you know, in a way that's yeah, relevant. Turns out to Hollywood today. got worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, indeed. That's Party Down. It's on stars right now. And that's what Devinger Hardware has been watching. Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching this week? Well, this weekend, um, friend of the show, my friend, uh, Danish Syed, came into town here in Denver and stayed at my house. And Nice. Um, actually, it might be interesting this isn't something that people might be able to watch, but it might be interesting. This One of the things I've been watching, the reason he came to town was uh, we went to see uh, Bruce Springsteen live. Oh, nice. Now, my wife is a massive Springsteen fan. I have never been. I like 
the songs that everybody likes, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't not like him, but I've never been a fan. I've never, he's always been like there in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Music, you know, yeah. and, and I, you know, I love glory days and I love thunder road and like the, the songs, everybody knows the songs, but, um, I've never, there's people who like love. In fact, our real estate agent that we bought that helped us get the house that I'm in now, uh, she is like in her seventies. She's seen him like 200 times. She travels all over the country. To, to see him like people love Springsteen my wife is a person that loves Springsteen in fact when we first met one of the things she said was oh if we if there's ever a chance to see Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band we have to go we have to go it doesn't matter what mm-hmm. price it is we have to go and I was always like oh okay I could take it or leave it but you love <laughs> it so, so. yes mm-hmm. yeah um so uh, they were coming to town. Danish reached out and was like, hey, I'm going to fly to Denver to see this. Uh, and I was like, oh, you can stay here. We'll all go. We'll go as a threesome. It'll be awesome. So that's the context for me going to see Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Is that I was going because my friends, my friend slash also wife, like the people around me were excited. And I wanted to be part of the excitement. I wanted to join them and be part of the excitement. I'm here to tell you. It was the greatest concert I have ever seen in my life. So you're saying Bruce Springsteen is good, actually, Jeff. I'm mm. saying it's not good. I'm saying it is transcendent. Wow. I, I, dude, you know, you guys know how much I love Prince. Prince is, is mm-hmm. for me, the, the greatest artist who ever lived. I've seen Prince over a dozen times live. Wow. Um, I didn't think anything could be better than seeing Prince live. <laughs> I, there is nothing like... Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Man. The dude's 72 years old. They they played for two and a half hours. There was no opening act, just them. No stopping. There was no stop. There was no stopping. There was no pause between songs. One song would go into the next. It was this wall of energy for two and a half straight hours that is like, I, I, I've not experienced anything like it. The only thing I can compare it to is like an, a revival meet, like some sort of religious experience. It, it was so much energy. It was unbelievable. I walked out of that and I turned to my companions and I said, that wasn't a concert. That felt like a celebration of being alive. <laughs> it was like this just joyous, we all get to be alive right now. So anyway, I only bring that up to say I was not. My mother-in-law went to go see it as well, actually. Um, He was in Seattle and she had an amazing time. So I'm so glad you. There's nothing like it. And I'm not even a fan. Like (laughs) 90% of the songs they played, I didn't even know. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't. But I'm telling you, I'm not exaggerating when I say any 30 minute chunk of that concert would be the greatest concert I've ever seen. Like what, what most band, you know how most bands like work up to a crescendo and then have like a, an encore. That's all the best stuff. Mm-hmm. Any 30 minute chunk <laughs> is any other band's greatest moments. You know, mm-hmm. like there's, mm-hmm. it is incredible. I could, I, anyway, I, I so, highly yeah. recommend it. If anybody has the chance. And like I said, even if you're not a fan, there's nothing like it. I've never experienced anything like it. It's incredible. 
So, Jeff, how does this tie into your what we've been watching? Anyway, uh, so Dennis was also it was here for that, and uh, there <laughs> is. And you, you finish watching Bruce Springsteen, and you're like, hey, guys, I have a perfect chaser. Yeah. What, what can well, top this? No, not at all. <laughs> he, you know, he was here, and, and uh, you know, we I have a movie theater in my house, in this in this new house, and so I definitely wanted to, you know, have a moment where we watched something in the movie theater. And we were like, what should we watch? What should we watch? And Danish said, well, you know, the very and I'm taking his word for this because I didn't have any way to check. But he said, you know, the very first um, convincing Kanata or whatever we called it, the thing where you guys watched a movie mm -hmm. and then tried to convince me to watch it was uh, they said it was a, he he pointed me to the to the episode. It was an After Dark in April of 2021, mm. where you guys talked about Shin Godzilla. Yes. It feels like a lifetime ago. When that <laughs> yes, happened. but it was Honestly. only April of 2021. That doesn't feel yeah, like that long like ago. It's like less than two years. It feels like it was literally five years ago. I know. Um, but yeah. Uh, anyway, I never. I had not gotten. You had convinced me that I would want to watch that, but I never watched it. And so he's yes. like, "We should pay off the very first convincing Kanata, which is, I think, what we called it." That, um, that's actually why he went on that trip. Tempting yeah, Jeff, yeah. I think, was tempting. Uh, Jeff. That's not as good. Trip. That's not tempting. Jeff is not as good. That's not good. <laughs> Yeah. It, there's no alliteration there at all. I, what, what I love about this story is it reinforces the idea that Devendra and David recommending something is not mm -hmm. sufficient yeah. for Jeff yeah. to watch it, right? It is. It must be an external and an exogenous force <laughs> mm -hmm. for yep. Jeff to even consider giving a shit what we say. On now you get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now you get it. Um, but it also helps that he came to my house. You guys haven't come to my house, you know? Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, anyway, yeah. um, so uh, to pay off, he thought, you know, this is, this is perfect. We pay off the very first one of these. So we put on uh, Shin Godzilla and watched it. I will say... Not exactly a uh, a showpiece for the movie theater. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, until a certain point. I mean, yes, there are some cool that, stuff that, that happens. That big Godzilla yeah, tail going over the city is like, yeah, you there's, need some, a big there's some good that. stuff. There's 90% yeah. of the movie is people in an office. Yes, yeah, talking that's right. to Which each is the joke of that movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, AKA I, I, some I, of Jeff's favorite premises for movies. But yeah. Indeed. No, not <laughs> wrong. Not wrong. Yeah. I, I really liked the movie. I really liked the movie. Um, hmm. It. It is funny it, that anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, it, <laughs> I would say I will say I have to admit. Danish was right. I, I liked the movie mm. as mm. usual. He's, yeah. he's just, he just knows me so well, you guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I hate you. Jeff. The premise, if you know, if people don't remember an after dark in April of 2021, <laughs> I will catch you up. Um, the Shin Godzilla is a 2016 version of Godzilla, but it's it's approached in a much more sort of grounded, realistic fashion. It's it's approached like a political problem. Like, hey, giant reptile destroying most of Tokyo. What are we going to do about it politically? <laughs> like, what? A, how do we handle this from mm -hmm. a from a sort of structural? Yeah. You know, how, it, how does a bureaucracy deal with it? Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I thought it, it's a novel idea, novel premise. And I understand that they've done Shin Ultraman now. Yeah, that just came out. I cannot wait. To see yeah, it. I'm, I'm oh, curious man. to check that out, too. But um, but, you know, the movie doesn't look like it had the biggest budget in the world. Uh, the, the effects uh, are varying in quality, but yeah. it kind of it's kind of charming for all that. Like it's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, you know, it, so much the, the, the movie... baby Godzilla form, like when he's running through the town, looks ridiculous, and uh, yet yeah. I love it. 
Yeah, I it, love it so much. It is, it is a pretty cool head. idea that it, yeah. it it arrives as a sort of baby <laughs> and, and it literally <laughs> evolves over a short period of time to be Godzilla. That's cool. And there's some cool stuff. There's some definitely some cool sort of big moments. The way the way they end up resolving the problem at the very end <laughs> is awesome, I thought. Uh -huh. I, I've never seen anyone... I mean, I haven't seen all the Godzilla movies or I've seen a tiny fraction of the Godzilla movies, but I've never seen the problem approached that way. And I thought that was really clever and cool. Mm -hmm. um, but most of the movie is literally, you know, super close ups of people in offices trying to decide what to do. Well, people moving from bigger rooms to bigger rooms, right? <laughs> to like different, more subtitles, more, more people titles. Yeah. Being added to that I mean, room, it really tries officers. to convey... Man. The grand bureaucracy, the the number of different agencies <laughs> yeah. that yeah, would I think be involved. Need a bigger meeting room for this. Yeah, and you know, and and I think it does a lot with a little in that, like the camera is doing a lot of work to try to make just people sitting in chairs talking. You know, it's like, oh, it's underneath their face, and now it's you know, it. And I I I think it, all of that is very charming and very. Uh, I appreciate the effort there, um, and I think the movie is is ultimately pretty darn fun. You know, it, it, but it is very dry in a weird way. And mm -hmm. the other, the big surprise, not knowing this going in, not having remembered if you guys mentioned this, maybe you did. I didn't get a chance to go back and uh, listen. I wanted to listen to our original discussion of it, but I'm not a patron, so I couldn't. <laughs> um, it's funny. Wait, okay, hold on. Yes, uh, but I, I've, I've given you access yeah, to Yeah, you feed, have the feed, Jeff. You have the feed, Jeff. But anyway, go ahead. I have the feed? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I have... Let's, let's anyway. talk after the podcast. Well, <laughs> let's talk after the podcast. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I tried to log in. I have the login, but yeah, I needed yeah. two-factor two, two authentication, and that's Dave's phone. It was texting you, Dave, and evidently you just ignore those. No, so. no. That's yeah, not... Yeah, if you get a random two-factor alert, you do not click approve. I believe that's, I believe that's, that's exactly what you do. That's how, that's how two-factor works. You just, yeah, whatever yeah. it is, just click uh -huh. approve. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Anyway. It is funny. It is funny, it's Jeff. Funny. And, uh, it's funny. It's, it's very yeah. funny. It's, it's almost... I think the first half of the movie is almost a parody of... Mm -hmm. it's, it's sending up government and bureaucracy and... The kinds of people that work in government and it, it is very scathing and, and very funny i mean there's there's like legit comedy beats like a guy will be like i wrote up a simple plan and then he unfolds a piece of paper and it's the most <laughs> convoluted looking piece of paper you've ever seen in your life like there's yeah legit jokes in it uh and i was not expecting that at all i thought you Th know. that movie was doing what don't look up tried to do i think oh interesting and, uh, <laughs> just not enough people saw it if we ever bring back convincing Kanata or, or something of this, I need you guys to see the first like several episodes of Neon Genesis Evangelion, because that also really informs uh, Shin Godzilla and, uh, you know, and uh, the, the director, you know, just putting that together. Cause like the music from that show is used in Shin Godzilla. And it's just so wild. Yeah. Anyway, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a uh, very, very fun, very uh, interesting take on a, you know, well, well-worn right trope of right. you know, also terrifying godzilla like once he reaches his final form just grotesque monster and yeah there's love like it. love that design weird like blood dumps that it does yeah. out of its gills and stuff it's it's yeah. uh it's cool yeah i'm just glad that the lead time for jeff taking our advice has finally <laughs> gone down to 18 months you know yeah. and it just requires That's... somebody physically going to his yeah, house. It's yeah. <laughs> of course right. sending someone to physically go to his house um yeah so anyway that's shin godzilla it's available right Watch now on video on demand. Check it yeah, out. Yeah, it's we actually all, um, yeah. super discounted 
Oh, well, this might be interesting to the listeners. It's super discounted on Amazon Prime right now. Mm. So you can buy it for the rental price. You can buy it for four bucks. Nice. However, I did I'm not. I'm surprised you still bought it even I did with not. that, Jeff. I did not do that. <laughs> yeah. I did not do that because it was unclear to us whether or not it was the dubbed version or uh, the uh, mm. subtitled version. Because mm -hmm. weirdly, the dubbed version doesn't offer subtitle like doesn't you can't do yeah. both in this it had two yeah. different versions now what i ended what we ended up doing is renting it on apple tv which really cool feature of apple tv i'd never seen before which is you push a button to to rent it and it says okay this is available in two versions which would you like oh nice really nice yeah. uh so you could literally select it from the menu um so that's what we ended up doing so i do not own it dave i do not own it but you should Indeed. Indeed. All right, folks. Uh, that's what we've been watching. Let's do a couple weekly plugs. Weekly plugs, the part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. I am currently writing a free newsletter called Decoding Everything and published a review of Creed 3 uh, by a talented writer named Krishan Baker over there. You can check it out at decodingeverything.com. Free for all. Be sure to subscribe. Um, I, I'm not making original tweets anymore. I'm making newsletter posts instead. And based on what's happening on Twitter today, I'm happy with that choice. Um, but check it out at decodingeverything.com. That's my weekly plug. Divin, your hardware, what's your weekly plug? Oh, you can take a look at my uh, overall piece on The Mandalorian Season 3 and the the annoyance of having to watch Book of Boba Fett to even understand it over at Engadget. Um, kind of a review, kind of a rant. So just go check that out. Jeff Kanata. I do a video game podcast uh, called DLC, been going for quite a while, and we had a really good episode this week. Um, uh, Mitchell Saltzman from IGN was our guest, and uh, he came and talked about um, Wolong, which is a new sort of Souls-like, Soulsborn, as they're calling them, uh, game. Oh, we talked about Destiny 2 Lightfall. We talked about a really cool indie game that I'm loving called Aces and Adventures and more PSVR 2 talk. Uh, I thought it was a solid episode, and it's a great show. Um, if you're into video games at all, I hope you check out DLC. You can find it at 5x5.tv slash DLC. All right, and of course, I want to give a plug to this podcast, Patreon, at patreon.com slash filmpodcast, where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. Last week, of course, we had Scott Cease from Cocaine Bear on the After Dark. And this week, or not this week, I should say, um, next week... <laughs> Our plan is to discuss uh, the season one finale of Poker Face uh, here on the Filmcast After Dark. Uh, really interesting season of television. Lots to discuss there. We'll spoil everything. We'll talk about it. Uh, get that and uh, lots of other great episodes, including our discussion of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, our rewatch of the Magic Mike franchise, uh, all at patreon.com slash filmpodcasts. We, of course, never want anyone to sign up if it in any way causes them financial hardship. You can always support the show by leaving a review for us on Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate that. Or sharing about this podcast on social media. Uh, okay. That is all of our plugs for this week. Let's get to our review of Creed 3. One day you came back. The past came back, too. There may have been a time when Damien had your back. No friends in the industry. That's not what he's doing now. My brother's been my brother's mate. They no kidding me up that. 
before I got locked up, I was the best. You a coward, bro, and a fraud. Try spending half your life in a cell. Watching somebody else live your life. I had to draw the line. I'm just getting started, little bro. I had to draw the line between my brothers and my enemies. I'm coming for it all. He's not going to stop. Then you make him. Welcome to the Filmcast review of Creed 3, directed by Michael B. Jordan. I'm going to read the plot summary of this movie from IMDb. Adonis has been thriving in both his career and family life, but when a childhood friend and former boxing prodigy resurfaces, the face-off is more than just a fight, end quote. Uh, the Creed movies. Creed 1, I think we all loved that movie, if yeah, I recall correctly. Great, yeah. great movie. Great continuation of the Rocky franchise. Creed 2, uh, <laughs> really fun review of the film cast you should listen to if, oh, you, uh, if you forget what happened with our review of Creed, Creed 2. Creed 2, having babies is hard. Like having a baby is hard. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is though. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think I think um, fair to say a lot of people uh, in general didn't feel that Creed Two was quite as strong as Creed One. You know, I mm-hmm. think that's uh, fair to say. So a lot of questions about whether this would be a franchise worth coming back to, especially with Michael B. Jordan uh, being a director for the first time. Would he add something new to this? Bring something to it, uh, and kind of restore this franchise to its former glory? Certainly, he has at the box office. This movie was number one in a huge way this past weekend. Uh, and my guess is it's going to ensure more creeds, uh, you know, moving forward. <laughs> more creeds. More, uh, more uh, creeds. How about instead of more creeds, the description that you read from IMDb ended with a certain phrase that made me go, these two actors should do face-off. <laughs> Indeed. You Remake know. face-off with Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan there, Majors. There is basically yeah. a heat scene in this in this movie, too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. But yeah, Creed 3 made $58.6 million, which Man. I think is the best for any movie in the franchise uh, in its opening weekend. Just really impressive debut. Uh, but here's my question for you, Devinder Hardwar. Do you think that the Creed franchise was, was worth coming back to, as demonstrated by this movie? <laughs> I think absolutely. I I adore this movie. I love this movie um, mainly because uh, it it is live action anime, guys. Like it is hitting a lot of those points that I love in sports anime, where uh, there are often stories about uh, brothers versus brother or like friends who become like mortal enemies. And the way Michael B. Jordan also shoots the action in this movie. I, I think is incredible because he's actually bringing in some techniques, um, the sort of ways it kind of slow-mos and zooms into specific spots or the way it highlights specific key frames. We'll talk about some of these in spoilers, but just when, like an uppercut that kind of pauses the, the screen. You see the sweat kind of glisten off some about somebody. That is anime. That is like freaking Naruto. That's Nahajime no Ippo. And he's not just doing it like for aesthetic. Like he's kind of taking those visuals and these styles and bringing it to a Rocky movie. And I think it's totally successful. Like, I love this movie, um, which is funny, too, because it starts at the place. It's basically uh, uh, Adonis Creed is Lydia Tarr, right? He is the greatest man on earth. He has everything. He has all the titles. He's rich. He's a beautiful wife. His wife is also a rock star. Um, amazing daughter. Like, his, he has one of those houses overlooking all of L.A., right? Like, on the hills. Um, just, like, his life is perfect. What could go wrong? And what ends up happening is, is this ends up being sort of a reverse Rocky movie where the sort of underdog ends up being the person we're sort of rooting against. But I also think he's also really, really compelling. That's Jonathan Major's character, Damian Anderson. Um, I, I think like there's so much to that character. First of all, 
again, a- another like shining example of Jonathan Majors, I think being like the one of the most exciting actors around right now. So I love that he is here in this movie. Uh, it's another villain role for him, but it also it's a really like complex thing he's doing because like you can kind of see the love these characters have for each other that also is, has stewed into a form of hatred. And Jonathan Majors is just very good at getting those nuances. Uh, Michael B. Jordan, maybe not as much, but uh, they're, they're talking about themselves as a sort of like De Niro and Pacino of their generation. And I, I think we know which one's De Niro at this point. So I love that pairing. I hope they keep working together. I think this movie is fantastic and I cannot wait to watch it again. It is what, what a theatrical experience this was. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on Creed three. Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts on Creed three are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Okay. Let's hear it, Jeff. For every punch that it threw, there's so much it needed to do. I still liked it a lot, but in terms of the plot, it bit off more than it could chew. Mm. Mm-hmm. I thought this movie was awesome. I loved it. But you kind of have to forgive it a lot of things, in sure, my opinion. Sure. It shortcuts a lot of stuff. There's, it's jam, there's so much jam-packed into it that it felt like it gives short shrift to a lot of story beats. And... Ultimately, kind of, <laughs> it kind of uh, minimizes how hard it is to actually be a heavyweight champion. Um, <laughs> you mean you can't just go in and ask for? for yeah, a yeah. It, it really feels like. I mean, I under like it's doing so much heavy lifting to get to this place. The place is cool. The place we get to is cool. But I wish, honestly, I wish that has, this had been two movies mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Yeah. you could have the entire first movie be. Michael B. Jordan being the manager for Jonathan yeah. Majors and like seeing his struggles come back and 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 you know getting to that like working having a Rocky movie with Jonathan Majors as Rocky and at the end he does it triumph movie two the betrayal mm-hmm. that would be amazing and it would I don't. We have to shortcut so much of Jonathan Major's ascension. And there's like huge, there's like moments where in the movie we see a cut of Jonathan Major's is like, I got my mansion. It's like, what, 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 what? Well, that was yeah. fast. I think you I'm going to have to put a spoiler warning at the beginning of this show. Yeah. That's, oh, you just well, kind of spoiled the whole film, but it's okay. I'll put a spoiler warning. <laughs> I, and, I heard yeah, the trailer that you played yeah. and it sounded like all of that was in the trailer. That that's you true. That's the trailer true. does leave a lot. That's yeah. true. But, you know. It's uh, uh yeah. I, I, the, uh, I, I yeah. do not want to spoil anything, but yeah. I, I literally judged whether I should say it based <laughs> on the fact that the trailer I mean, also, literally has that line. You can yeah, kind of assume yeah, I, you know, well, 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 I'm going to put it there just to be safe. But yes, I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely fair, and I I apologize for, no worries, for going no too far. Uh, we can talk more in spoilers, but I do think ultimately my thoughts are that the movie is is really trying to accomplish so much. Mm-hmm that unfortunately a lot of it has to be shorthanded and given short shrift. And I wanted more. I love yeah, these yeah. characters. This should have been a three-hour movie. Like, this should have been, like, the big Rocky epic. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I think two movies is better. I think mm-hmm. make this, like, a two-movie a, a two movie back-to-back movie thing. Like, shoot them at the same mm-hmm. time. It would be amazing. But what we get is still really fun. Uh, the action is really cool. There's a few things that I'll talk about in spoilers that kind of didn't work for me, like, when it goes super anime at the end, mm-hmm. I, I don't. 
ultimately divisive, what I divisive, but also I applaud the effort. I applaud <laughs> him <laughs> taking that chance. It's yeah. a classic yeah. Devendra Hardwar big swing. And yeah. I, I, mm -hmm. I love, you know, I know yeah. you love a big swing. I love a big swing when it works, <laughs> but I don't, I think what you want out of a Rocky movie or a Creed movie or this franchise is that the end is the most, is the most mm -hmm. impressive thing. And I don't think that's the case. I think the middle is the most impressive thing. And I don't think the end trumps what we've seen before it and, and ultimately feels a little unsatisfying for me. Yeah. But I think ultimately, really fun movie. I like it. I've recommended it to friends. I think it's yeah. good. I just think it could have been better if it had a little more room to breathe. It's, it's also hard to root for one of the richest and most successful people on the planet, apparently. Like that, that is essentially who we're rooting for. So it's, yeah. it's tough. Um, I'll share some quick thoughts so we can go into spoilers. I, I won't play the bumper today. Um, but I think that uh, I, I basically agree almost completely with Jeff. I think the experience of watching this movie is awesome. Like a, it's a visceral theatrical experience. Um, the fight scenes are interesting. They're like, uh, you, at this point, we have seen yes. dozens, if not hundreds of boxing scenes in our lifetimes, right? In movies. Mm -hmm. And Michael B. Jordan really went for it. He's like, I'm going to try some stuff you haven't seen before. Yeah. He talks uh, about and, like parallaxing, like the way they kind yeah. of pan around the characters too, that really yeah. changes the foreground, it the background. Like kind of, it felt like bullet time at times. Yeah. It was like really yeah. cool stuff. And so I got to admire him. Like, I don't know that all of it works, but I got to admire him for like being like, hey, we are we already know what a good boxing match looks like. We don't need to see that again. Mm -hmm. um, can we show it in a way that you haven't seen before? And I really applaud him for taking uh, the chance there. Jonathan Majors, he has now been in two back-to-back -back number one movies at the box office. Um, and he's great in both of them. And I'm just going to say, he should have been the main character of both of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think those movie, those two movies would have been better. Like this movie would have been better if Jonathan Majors, as you said, Jeff, was the protagonist. And, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I think he, he is the more interesting character. He has the more interesting story in this movie. He has the more interesting performance. Uh, and I wish it was like what we need more of Jonathan Majors in this movie and more of that storyline. And the end, the final act, the first two thirds, I was like, this is, that was amazing. I watched the first two thirds. I was like, that was amazing. That was like, wow, like spectacular. And then it felt like they tried to cram a whole other movie into the final third. Yeah. And that's when it yes. really starts to fall apart. Cause just, you just feel like there's a lot of stuff missing. Yeah. Um, so uh, I like it. Overall. We're, we're yeah. all asking where's Rocky the whole time too. So that, <laughs> that was weird. Yeah. And for the, for the record, right. Um, there seems to be some uh, challenges between uh, Rocky and uh, I want to say Irvin Kirshner, I think. Um, looking up. Uh, uh, sorry, Kirshner? Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Uh, Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone, Stallone and, and, uh, and Irwin Kirshner. Irwin Winkler. Winkler, I'm sorry. Yeah, Irwin Kirshner's dead. Yeah. Irwin Winkler, right? So there's um there's some apparent personal beef between the two of them. And well, probably because Stallone doesn't own the rights, and Winkler right. basically got that out of him early on, and Stallone's still pissed about it. So, for that yeah. for that and uh and business reasons, like that's why Sylvester Stallone <laughs> does not appear in this movie at all. Although Nor Stallone was like he said uh he doesn't like he didn't like how dark this movie got too, where I'm like wasn't Rocky like a hitman for a mobster in the first movie? Yeah. Like nor, a, yeah. nor is the thing about not even a Sylvester Stallone 
and Rocky not in the movie, but yeah. like Rocky's contemporaneous whereabouts are not even <laughs> mentioned in the movie. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. They mention uh, him as a they person. Yeah, they mention yeah. him as a person for sure, but like, yeah. it's not like, hey, Rocky was sad he couldn't make it to the fight tonight. You know, like, no one says anything <laughs> Rocky like that. It, it's, it's a shame because <laughs> there's a distinct moment in the movie that would have been amazing to have yes. just a short cameo where yes. he like gives his advice about it. would be so yeah. cool where he just would like consult with Rocky and then Rocky yeah, would be like, yeah, you gotta yeah. do it. Just you FaceTime Rocky. It. Come on, yeah, do a Magic yeah. Mike 3. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's it's a bummer that he's not in the movie, but um, anyway, uh, wanted to mention that. Okay, well, let, anyway, let's let's talk about full spoilers now. So, like, you know, I agree with you, a lot of the trailer uh, mm-hmm. showed the plot of the movie, but in the, like... No, I, I, I apologize. It's okay, in the, in the just a fullness of safety, I'll just put a spoiler warning at the beginning of the podcast and say, like, yeah. you know, for, so that the, no one is, like, deceived or whatever. Wise, I feel um, bad. It's, it's cool, it's cool. So, um... <sighs> The first two thirds of the movie culminates with Jonathan Major's character uh, t- taking the heavyweight championship title, and the way that that plays out, I thought was just incredible. Like, yeah, his fight with Felix and showing all the way he's he's like playing dirty and like hitting the guy's arm and yeah. like at the wrong end. It's just like, oh, this is so I've like never seen anything like this. And the way like the quick cuts and the CG and all this stuff, I thought it was just so well done. And it felt so transgressive what he was. Do- I don't. I don't know anything about boxing, so maybe if yeah. boxing experts are watching this, so like people do that all the time, you know. Everyone but was like, booing him, basically. Yeah, but, but everyone was booing him, him, you know. Yeah. And so it was. It was just amazing to watch. And then it's like, at that point, that character's life is going to become way more interesting. Like I want to know, mm-hmm. like, yes. what happened? What happened? He's gotten. Yes. He went from living in a zero bedroom apartment to now he has a massive thing with like a LA view and sponsorship deal all that what what is that guy's life like we get none yeah. of that we, we get, get none, none of that it. and then yeah. and then there's a scene in, that I, in the trailer where uh he's like yeah he's gonna come after all of it like uh, uh, donnie's like he's gonna come after everything and then tessa thompson's like well then you gotta stop him he's like by fighting by giving him more attention by fighting <laughs> like and what does it mean he's gonna come after what does that even mean like yeah well, he, it, it, it doesn't show much of this but he was like bad mouthing them on the media like this yeah is exactly very much a, it's all yeah. off screen though it's all yeah. off yeah. Like, yeah. that's yeah. that could have been an entire movie yeah yes. that could have yes. been a whole movie and you could have yeah. built that all up and yeah. it would have been amazing to see yeah. that you could have had yeah. more jonathan majors fights we could have seen him as the champ like beating other people and they're like oh my gosh this guy's not just a flash in the pan he's not just a one-time thing like he's actually a legitimate champion you could have built all of that up and then he's like dissing him all dis and we yeah. could have had this whole turn that would have felt really organic and awesome instead of it being so abrupt yeah. and so truncated I it, agree. I agree. It would be a hard sell for first-time director Michael B. Jordan to be like, "I got a two-movie epic <laughs> well, for yeah. your yeah. hundred million-dollar franchise." Yeah, I, that yeah. seems. I mean, I'm not. But, yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm yeah, not yeah. The, the, the that, realities but. of filmmaking might have prevented. I, I do that want happen, a super but, long yeah. director's cut, though. Like this yeah. does feel like a movie where I want to sit with this world. I do want to see what's up with uh, Damien's character because he he is more interesting. Like he is. There's always something going on in his head and in his eyes too, yeah. and you kind of see that even from the beginning. That that opening scene where you know. They they kind of meet each other for the first time. They have a heat diner moment where they're yeah. just like, yeah, these two opposing forces. Where it was like, oh yeah, like um, the sort of like underlying rage that Damien has is there, and you could totally feel it. And it's that's so awesome. It's like I don't happening. want your money. Yeah, I yeah. want 
everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so mm-hmm. you don't you don't even know that at the time, but it's yeah. it's yeah. it's kind of like Cape Fear at a certain point too, like where he just kind of keeps popping out, like oh he's in his house now, oh there he's at this dinner, uh, kind of like leading his wife on in certain ways with certain ideas, you know. Yeah, that never really pays off either. Like that, yeah. All of that could have had more time, could have been more sinister. He could have really developed into a villain that we like that. That part of the part of the end of the movie felt so anticlimactic to me. Like the, I should feel at the end of a Rocky slash Creed movie, I should like want to jump out of my chair and cheer when against all odds, our heroes triumph. Right. Yeah. That's that's the feeling of those movies, and I I don't think it reached that because mm-hmm. everything is so rushed by the end yeah. and the way it all plays out in that final fight just felt mm-hmm. less than satisfying. This to me. movie's a tragedy. Like that's what it is. It's not really a try. It's not a movie about triumph. It's a, it's a tragedy of what happens to this, this friendship. Uh, there was that shot where they kind of see each other in the locker room at the end. And like, there's a divining line between, yeah. between Adonis and between Damien. And that just feels like, excellent visual storytelling well in a in a recent episode of the film cast after dark we talked about like stuff that makes like that brings tears to our eyes you know makes us cry i almost cried during that scene um where uh this is you're that's not at the end of your that's at the that's when jonathan majors fights felix yes yes um so at that moment there's a scene in the locker room where like you see them in the locker room together and like um uh adonis is wearing like a nice suit and jonathan majors is like about ready to go on box and there's like the shot where like the 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 locker room mm-hmm. wall divides the two of them, yeah, and it's just like, and they kind of look at each other, but they can't see each other, and it's mm-hmm. just like, oh, this is so amazing! It's, like it's so, it's it gave me chills. Yeah. I was so like, good. this is incredible. The um, tragedy of this movie is that this this beautiful friendship, like they had a true friendship, and they just yeah. these are dudes who fight. They don't use words and that whole thing about you know Tessa well, Thompson yelling at him for that. This is how you you kind of deal with an emotional argument by hitting each other well this is very animated this is kind of my overall beef with this this movie and this franchise is like the problem that we have with these movies in my opinion is that violence is the solution for everything like like I, i felt the psychological reality of this film chafing against the genre expectations of this movie Right, because there's a moment when like Michael B. Jordan's character is like, "Hey, I I need to come to terms with my guilt over yeah. what I have done to my friend, or like how I handled the situation." And the solution in a boxing movie is always going to be fight it out in the ring. It's never going to be let's have a three hour long conversation about it. <laughs> and I think that's a shame because they do have this like moment at the end where they're like, "It ain't on you," and he's like, "It it wasn't on you either," you know. And that was that's the whole. I, I kind of like that moment. I like that moment it, because. I, I, I wish it had yeah. been 10 times longer. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish it had been like, I wish that had kind of been the resolution mm-hmm. that now wouldn't have been enjoyable as a movie of a movie. I mean, we but just it's talked like... about, we just cr- talked about crouching tiger. Right. And I feel like every fight in that movie mm-hmm. is a conversation. And I feel like that is kind of the same thing happening here. The unfortunate thing is boxing is a real thing. Yeah. That's the thing. You actually get, hurt, we're, we're so, not, we're yeah. not fighting it amongst bamboo, yeah. right? Like the, the bamboo stuff is so fantastical. You can be like, this is metaphorical in some way. Mm-hmm. This is like, well, there's an actual yeah. boxing. Well, then the it movie, does go there. The movie yeah. absolutely tells you it's a metaphor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like uh, yeah. explicitly. Yeah. <laughs> In the volume into metaphor mode, point. yeah, you know, yeah, but so, I, which, I think you, I think you know what I'm saying, which is that like I wish mm-hmm. the solution for these two people wasn't let's beat the shit out of each other. You well, know, yeah, like I, I, I honestly, I, yeah, I I feel that, and I I understand where you're coming from, but I also think 
that if the movie, you know, back to my thesis statement here, if the movie had expanded that and, and that third act mm-hmm. into something more substantial and you see the inevitability of like the only way it's going to work right, is right. if we yeah. fight like that if if he had been constantly you know uh, uh, we we see him constantly attacking creed and attacking his family and building that up and like and and delegitimizing his legacy and all that stuff if like it had become about the only way I can do this is publicly and by mm-hmm. by showing right. that I'm still the champ. Like none of that gets enough time to develop yeah, that it yeah, even yeah. makes sense that he goes back in the ring. It's like you're right, you're right. There is a there is a world where like that makes emotionally satisfying sense that that's the yes. only way for right. him to resolve mm-hmm. his problems. Um, and I guess in the text of the movie, it is technically true, but like we it's didn't there, feel, but we didn't feel yeah. it, right? We need yeah. more time. And there's the whole thing with his daughter too fighting because like uh, she learned it from you, Dad. You know, like <laughs> yeah. the, this. And his solution is basically to teach her how to fight. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Like I've seen people complain about this, but I spent six years doing martial arts. You know, like I, I spent a long time doing this stuff. Anybody working in like a rigorous like anything where you're training to fight the whole idea is about the discipline of it and not like always going out there to fight and kind of trying to restrain yourself and what you're capable of. And I feel like that was also, I wish more time was spent on that because I like the daughter character too in this movie. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I think our, our issues with the movie have been made mm-hmm. pr- pretty clear at this point. Um, it, it does feel like a lot of stuff really overstuffed a little bit, you know, um, Felicia Rashad's death, Tessa yeah. Thompson's arc, like all these things kind of like so rushed a all little of it. bit. It felt a little bit rushed, but this movie is exactly movie... two hours long. And you yeah. kind of feel like somebody was like, mm, eh, <laughs> no more. <laughs> what the movie does deliver on though, are the fight scenes. There's three yeah. major fight scenes, in this movie, and every single one of them feels distinct, interesting, you know? Uh, and at the end of the day, it's a boxing movie. It delivers on the boxing. You know, it's very hard to complain about the movie if, uh, if it delivers the goods. Where, you know? Creed 2, I don't think really, that felt really generic in terms of the way Creed 2 was shot. And I was thinking of like boxing movies that never really went in on it. And I keep going back to like The Fighter, where the idea of The Fighter, right, was you're kind of watching it on TV. So the camera angles are far back. It's like you're mm. watching boxing on HBO or something. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. does get you like way in there. Right I in didn't, there, yeah. Right in yeah. there. I didn't see it in IMAX. This was shot in IMAX too. So that must have like looked incredible. I saw it on an RPX screen, but it was still like a really great experience. And I, those screens have a uh, kind of a vibrating seats. And this is like the one time where like the haptics of having every yeah. punch hit your back a little bit. Punch your really anus cool. every time. Bam. <laughs> Wham. Yeah. Uh, and, and as we said, you know, um, the final fight sequence really plays around with visuals. Like, um, at one point, the um, I thought the it looked like they were fighting on like the volume or something. It, is, like it looks like background. the volume. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I didn't love exactly how that looked, but the stuff of them in the ring looked mm-hmm. awesome. Like you, you are convinced that these two people are actually, you know, fighting, like punching each other, and that's like um, that's a great illusion that the sh- the uh, movie pulls off, um, and, and that they're you know doing it. In, I presume a safe way, but towards the end of the movie, you know, the the audience like vanishes. They're yeah. fighting each other one on one. They see visions of each other as young children. Um, they fight Actual with elements from their child. Yeah, you know the yeah. walls, the ropes turn into bars and mm-hmm. a mattress and all this stuff. You know, um, that didn't work for me honestly. I, yeah, I thought it was a little too on the nose, and and it, I, I, it just felt a little. Uh, I don't know. 
I, I, I appreciated it. Like, like you said, Devinder, I appreciate the swing for the fences. Yep. And I appreciate like doing something different. Never seen that in, in a Rocky movie. Yeah. 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 Uh, very, very cool idea. I just felt like mm-hmm. it kind of stole some of the impact mm-hmm. of, of the moment yeah. for me. It didn't, it didn't I, accentuate it. It kind of reduced it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I am more of the opinion that it was worth doing because yeah. It's like we've already seen that fight so many times already, you know, like the 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 concluding fight with the the guy and the villain that he must vanquish. It's like <laughs> how could they have done that in a way I think I, it's the, hard the, for me to imagine how they could have done it in a way that's like, oh wow, that's it would, super, it would have just been more more. Yeah, it would have been yeah, a longer would, fight of them punching each other. Yeah, and uh, some of that looked cool. Like I think yeah. the there there's a point where they freeze frame on them both basically knocking each other out, just yeah, getting that, that kind cool. of key shot. Very anime, also well, very anime. Yeah, here, here's the way it could have worked, Jeff. Is um mm-hmm. like the idea of the whole movie is Jonathan Major's character Dame is like fighting dirty. And yeah. like maybe if Michael B. Jordan, if there's some plot around like him figuring out a way to like counteract that, that could have been cool. Well, um, but yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. Your thoughts. So you know, I I'm a fan of professional wrestling, yeah. and the entire goal of in ring storytelling in professional wrestling is at the highest level, right? At the the big payoff event where all of the beef between two characters is going to pay off because it's WrestleMania or it's a you know it's a big pay per view or whatever. The entire goal is to convince you that the thing that you know is going to happen isn't going to happen. That's how these movies should work, right? That's the goal of stage storytelling like that is that I know that Michael Michael B. Jordan is going to win this fight. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, my God, wait. Is is he not going to win this fight? Oh, Oh, he did. That's the goal. Right. And yeah. that's, you know, in, in professional wrestling, it's like, oh, the bad guy does the finisher on the good guy. And it's one, two. Oh, he kicked out of the light, kicked out of the thing he's not supposed to be able to kick out of. It's and figuring out ways to psychologically bring the audience to a place where the thing they know is going to happen they start doubting whether it's going to mm-hmm, happen. Mm-hmm, and that's yeah. the goal of these movies. That's how Rocky movies should work, is you go, I know Rocky's going to beat Drago. Oh yeah. my God. But what if, wait, wait, what is he not going to beat Drago? Well, Rocky you, didn't win in the first movie. Exactly. So like we, we, the, the setup for all these movies is like, Oh, you find triumph and failure. Yeah. Basically. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, I never, um, the point maybe, is I never yeah. felt that, yeah. that at any point in this mm-hmm. movie, like there's no moment where I thought Michael B. Jordan wasn't going to win. I think, and, and I agree. I, with I think that. that's I a failure that. of, of the genre of this movie. Like that's, that's the job of the final fight is to create dramatic tension and make me doubt what I know to be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. It does not do that thing that many of the other Rocky movies do and many movies of this genre do. And I think it's doing something else, right? It's trying to, as we've already described it, right? Make it out to be kind of uh, a metaphor. Right? Yeah, Shakespearean metaphor mm-hmm. of like these these the clash of these, not only these people's, uh, bodies, but their lives, you right. know, and um, and I think that it does a good job at that. But I agree, it's trading in that set of pleasures that you described for another yep. set. And I understand if the other set doesn't work for you. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, I, I just want to say shout, shout out to Michael B. Jordan. Like we we are seeing people who grew up on anime and manga who are now creating their own art. And like cool. dude is yeah. dude is doing his thing, and he put it out there. And that whole volume sequence is straight up like what you would see in maybe a Naruto or maybe a right. Hajime no Ippo and 
not all audiences are ready for that. And I got this, I got a kind of an inkling of Speed Racer here, where I just feel like he is experimenting with things like, yeah, not everybody's going to want to see this. It's not going to work for everybody, but I do think like there's some ideas. I mean, you you say that, really but see. you know, yeah. you say that, but I think uh, Devendra he he roped them in with the incredibly buff physique of Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors, and he made them stay to watch the anime related or anime inspired stuff. And yeah. uh, um, so I love you know, it. Good for him. Good for him. Good for him. The old um, Abzadump. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, we 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 haven't really talked about it, but like both Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors look incredible in this. Incredible, movie. yeah. Uh, the, I mean, and, you know, you guys were, were talking about Jonathan Majors a little earlier. I want to underscore that, and especially seeing him just in Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania, like how different he is yes. in this movie, how he moves in this movie. Yeah. I mean, he's got like this this Mike Tyson in the ring, like the way Tyson used to move and kind of be small. It, it is, it's really interesting what he's doing and how, mm-hmm. how very much not Kang he is or any other character I've seen him play. He's really doing something physically and with his yeah. voice. It, it's, he's dude, he is awesome. He's, he's one of the most so exciting like actors right now. Once in a generation, like talent, yeah. it seems like, um, I, you guys have not seen magazine dreams, but it yeah, does yeah. feel like Sundance that movie, is the yeah. bodybuilder movie. And he is basically doing De Niro and taxi driver in that movie. And like the, the, the fact that this guy can do superhero villain can do boxing guy, like can do, and then be like a very like antisocial, almost like a, a potential murder or something. Like he really, uh, he got, he got buff. I think a couple of years ago um, for the set of roles. And it's really paying off for him too, because magazine dreams, he looks I- insanely buff too. Yeah. Um, and um, one of my favorite sequences from the movie is when he goes back to his apartment. Like you, you've, you've spent all this time looking at how amazing Creed's houses yeah. are. And then he goes back to his apartment and it's like, I think we're supposed to interpret it as quite small in comparison. I mean, and, like, he's, he's the just, Frank Grimes just, of this universe. Yeah, like that's what it is. He is he's on his apartment above a bowling alley, below another bowling alley, and yeah, yeah I would have loved to see more of his life because it does seem rough. Yeah, yeah. the competing yeah, yeah. Uh, the competing montages are pretty go- cool too. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, they, they they come out of nowhere. Like another thing, Rocky <laughs> movies do is they set up the you know you got to have the special move right. You got to practice mm-hmm. your swan kick on top of the pillar. You got to you know chase the chickens. You got to. You got to do sit-ups in the snow, whatever. But in this movie, we just like end up pulling a plane. It's no setup. We're just pulling a plane for no <laughs> well, reason. You got to run to the top of the Hollywood sign, right? Like, yeah, that, yeah that was cool. Yeah. By the way, I've done that hike to yeah. the Hollywood sign, and it's he, they shot it there because there's he goes by the this pick, this chain link fence. Like, oh, that's literally the hike to the Hollywood sign. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, I think overall, it sounds like despite our qualms, Jeff, we we both really still enjoyed. Oh, it's the really film. good. It's, it's a great I, experience. I, I just wanted more. I yeah. want more. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Just, I just wanted to see it more fleshed out. But yeah, it's, I hope yeah. we get a director's cut or something. I feel like they did shoot some stuff because it just seems like disjointedly edited at times. Yeah. So, yeah. Hope hope for more. Uh, okay, let me bring mm-hmm. up one final qualm of the movie, which is that this movie spends a lot of time trying to convince you that Michael B. Jordan is old and out of shape. I don't know if you guys saw <laughs> Well, that. for boxing. Well, oh, my yeah, God. For you're boxing. So, you're, for boxing, you're, you're so old. old. You're so old, Michael B. Jordan. I mean, first of all, this is a franchise <laughs> that has the movie Rocky Balboa in it, mm-hmm. okay, where he's, Sylvester Stallone is, like, way older 
Then Michael B. Jordan. But the whole point of that movie was like you're old, Rocky. Yeah, I know. Like he was years old, but he was way older than Michael B. Jordan is in this movie. So it's like, but they're both true. They're both old. They're both true for boxing. Fair enough. I mean, the worst transgression in my mind is that then Jonathan Major shows up. Everybody acknowledges he's even older, and he's like. He's like, but he, he has no Jonathan, problem being the, he, the, the, I think it, like I said, uh, you know, pre-spoilers was it kind of cheapens the entire notion of a heavyweight champion. This movie, it's just like mm-hmm. anybody off the street, this guy was good when he was 15. So yeah, he can totally do it now. It's just like, not the case, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, also Jonathan Majors, by the way, three years younger than Michael B. Jordan. Um, oh, that's and, funny. So that was a little bit. I was kind of like, "You're trying to convince us both of these are old out of these like these are literally the fittest people <laughs> I've seen this month." You know. Um, so and, anyway, and Dave subscribes to the Fit of the Month Club. Thank- <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, it's really impressive that Michael B. Jordan made a movie. And that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Find us on TikTok at the Filmcast. Find us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube at the Filmcast Pod. And uh, what else do I want to mention? Uh, our uh, music theme song is brought to you by Tim McEwen from The Midnight. Check out his band, Varsity Blue, as well. And our uh, weekly plugs music comes to you from Noah Ross. Uh, patreon.com slash film podcast where you can support this show. Uh, we got some poker face talk coming up for you in the weeks to come. Uh, we've recently done Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, as well as Magic Mike rewatches on the Filmcast of Dark. And we spent a lot of time talking about random topics as well as your questions over at patreon.com slash film podcast. Next week on the show, it's going to be Scream 6. I was just saying to Devendra right before the podcast, Jeff, yeah. I don't think you were here. Like, it feels like we just finished talking about Scream. <laughs> it just happened. I had that same thought. I was like, yeah. didn't we just do a Scream? Were we just screaming? Yeah. They were so, they were ready. This is like the yeah. Scream 1 versus 2 situation. So I, yeah. I, hopefully it's as yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, Indeed. So looking forward to talking about Scream 6 next week here on the podcast. Is there more life to bring out of the, to ring out of this franchise? We shall find out here on the Filmcast. See you soon. <laughs> <laughs>